Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. OutKick 360, Thursday edition, just like that. Second hour is here. We're going to talk Major League Baseball postseason with Michael McHenry, former Pirates catcher, Major League catcher, and now broadcaster. And uh, great with the analytics and the numbers, previewing the series. We'll chat with him in a matter of minutes. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Tomorrow, we are live in Knoxville at Cool Beans, Tennessee and Alabama. It's here, third Saturday in October. The game of the season so far, not for the two programs of college football, number three versus number six. And we get a chance to uh, take in the entire atmosphere Friday and Saturday with Outkick.com and Outkick 360. Cool Beans is a legendary stopping point for many a many a volunteer and guest team over the years, uh, right on campus, right off of the Strip on Cumberland Avenue in Knoxville. Come see us. Let's bring the energy tomorrow. Yeah. We want to have a good crowd there. I reached out to my nephew, who's, a, a, I think, a junior. At, I'll have to check with him. Maybe a senior at Tennessee. Shows how much I know. Well, if he's, he's going to bring some buddies track, down. He's a junior. Look, there's going to be members of the Withrow family there. There's going to be Tennessee students there. I was talking with uh, Preston here at Old Smoky earlier. He said there's going to be some alumni that get in town early. Yes. That just to bring back the nostalgia, they're going to go to Cool Beans. I've spent many a night at Cool Beans back in the day, some of which I remember, some I don't. I'm going to be enough. honest. Here's my goal tomorrow, though. I want to remember it. I want to remember this show. I want to remember this show. I want it to be memorable. <laughs> I want there to be a big crowd there. Tony Vitello is going to join us tomorrow. Tennessee baseball coach. Man of the people. He will be there with us. Tony we're going V. To have, we're going to have a great time. Tony V. Come hang out with us. Come say hello. Uh, Hutton, in my latest column, I don't know if you've read it yet because you haven't uh, said anything, but in the first paragraph... I say, if you come by tomorrow, Hutton will buy you a beer. <laughs> oh, thank you. If you join us in Knoxville, Hutton will be the first to buy and, you a and beer. And people will think I'm Clay. Right. So technically, they'll think Clay bought them a Do beer. you think we get away with it by just saying, put it on Clay Travis's tab at yes. the bar? That maybe Clay has called ahead and said, you know, put those guys on me and whoever they want on there. And even just if, people keep running up the, the Even if we tab. don't get away with it, Chad, uh, Clay's still paying. So yes, we'll get away with it. Clay confront it. <laughs> Clay, Clay confronted. Clay's response is probably, I'll just buy the bar, is actually what he'll go to next, not just the tab. What's this cost? Oh, this, this beer? No, this bar. Yeah, I, I want this. These four walls. <laughs> How much for this physical property? Are we a go, guys? Oh, we are. Michael McHenry joins us. I, I, I could see him, but I, no one told me you were ready, Michael. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Just uh, moving and shaking at the house, trying to get everything packed up. So it's been a long day. Hey, uh, uh, packing up. But, you know, Chad's not packing up with the Braves right now. Uh, he, he told us yesterday on the show, if, if his Bravos lose game two, the season's over, he's done. You can well, pack not that I'm up. done. I'm just saying the series, I, falling I'm down 0-2 at home, it's over. Yeah. I don't think the Braves are recovering from that and so, winning three straight against the Phillies, but they got it done. And now, now he feels pretty good about the series. I would too, if, if I'm a Braves fan right now. Yeah, you should. I mean, 
there's a little bit of magic going on. You think about that Swanson catch, some of the infield singles that scored some runs. It just seemed like the the tide shifted into their favor yesterday. And that's that's a good sign for the Braves because they're really a momentum-type team. Acuna staying in the game after he got hit. I felt like they got recharged after that. And then I'm praying that that, that to be determined is Charlie Morton. They let Strider kind of get his bearings back. We made that mistake in Pittsburgh in 13. We started Garrett Cole. Not that he wasn't maybe the better pitcher than A.J. Burnett, but you always go with that veteran. The reason being is he looks up to Charlie Morton. He wants to be Charlie Morton in 14 years after his career and say, man, I'm making $20 million a year, blah, blah. He's got a lot of pressure on him. Knoxville kid, don't bring him back to pitch that third game. It's, it's, not, it's not good for him. It's not good for the Braves. Let Charlie Morton go out there and just dominate. Michael McHenry joins us on Now Kick 360. We're talking Major League Baseball. Uh, we've, we have spent quite some time talking payrolls in the, in the postseason. Behind the scenes, in the clubhouse, how much do the guys talk about payroll club to club? It's a lot. I mean, you think about, especially when you get to arbitration, you have to start thinking about, are they going to keep me? You know, like I remember my first time in arbitration, I, I hurt my knee and I, I knew immediately being with the Pirates, I'm gone. You know, doesn't matter. I'm just a little bit above league average, you know, maybe double. And they're not going to keep me because they can they, they can kind of put it in their mind and say, oh, if we save that uh, half a million dollars, maybe we can get this guy and piece this together. And they start doing all these chess pieces instead of just going out and saying, we like that guy. He makes our team better. Because he makes our team better, maybe that'll build a culture that'll bring people to the seats. And that should be all that matters because winning brings people, right? Good cultures bring people. That's what the Braves done. You look at their roster for the next eight years. It, it looks, I guess, the next six, I should say, looks phenomenal. There's a reason Charlie Morton just keeps coming back, right? He's like, oh, I'm going to retire. Nope, I'm coming back. It's because of the culture they built, the things that they're doing. And I think that's really important, even for small market teams. Lock them up earlier. We just saw what Strider happened to Strider. We saw what the Chicago White Sox did. We've seen the Astros have done. They lock up their young guys, the guys that really have that tenacity, that grit, that resilience that you want in a team, and they want to build their team around it. They just did it with the Pirates. Keep Ryan Hayes. They got to keep doing it. But the reality of it is that's the only way to compete in a small market, unless you're Tampa Bay and nobody's really a human being. They just rotate, throw it left, <laughs> throw it right. And they let the humans be on the field, but they have these robots up, up in the front office saying, no, nah, we're going to trade our closer right in the middle of the season, get three prospects back that end up being better. It's just remarkable what they do. But the reality of it is, they don't think about the human first. They think about the analytics first. And from a Philly perspective in this series, they did exactly what they needed to do. They win game one. They split in Atlanta. Now they've got their ace, Aaron Nola, going in game three, and they were able to bridge the gap after winning the first two games in that series against St. Louis. And if I look throughout the postseason right now, Michael, and I'm trying to pinpoint a team that may be that team that, got, that gets hot at the right time, that always had the right amount of talent to do it, but underachieved for most of the regular season, it's got to be the Phillies, right? If you're picking a candidate to be that team, when you look at their payroll and see they're paying $50 million more million a year than the Braves to their team, I look at Philly as that possible team. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I feel like Cleveland and Philly and Seattle really had the momentum going into the playoffs. And you look at Philadelphia – you know, they bring back uh, Wheeler. They they shut him down, which was kind of remarkable. I think when you look at the Braves, he's probably the one they were scared of. So Nola is kind of a, a step back, you know, because Wheeler was just absolutely dominant against St. Louis. He looked pretty much dominant against the Braves, got some luck on their side. So I think they could take a 
big, deep breath and say, okay, now we can go out, maybe start mashing a little bit. But they weren't worried about kind of going toe-to-toe with these Phillies offensively. And the Braves had the better defense. But, man, that that back end of the bullpen, the way they've stepped up in Philadelphia has been kind of remarkable with uh, Alvarado and, and the kid that's 31 that – you know, used to be a construction worker. He ended up signing in Mexico, going to Japan. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but that's remarkable to me. They've put together a really good team. And I got to say, it's got to be Bryce Harper coming back, playing with uh, a, a torn UCL in his elbow, really just DHing, gets hit in the wrist, beats that, still has a great year, probably a front runner in the MVP with Goldschmidt and Arenado if he didn't get hurt. So I, I kind of put it on him because he showed that hey, I'm just an old-school ball player that wants to be on the field and I want to win. And I think Philly just got behind him. We know what type of fans they have, and if they get behind you, it's going to be tough. I had this conversation with a group of buddies the other night watching uh, the Yankees uh, in Cleveland game, and we were talking about the payrolls, and there's a $180 million gap <laughs> between the Guardians and the Yankees and the payroll. And, and we started talking about, hey, is that something that we really appreciate about the sport, that they're sitting here in the ALDS against each other? And there's a $180 million gap between the teams. And my response was, get back to me after this series is over. Because if it's a three-game sweep, I don't like it at all. If the Yankees sweep them in three games. If they push them to five games, if the Guardians somehow pull off the upset, then yeah, you come back and you trumpet that as a baseball fan and say, well, look, this is the nature of the sport. It doesn't matter if you don't have the right chemistry and the right components. This little engine that could, that's $180 million different, pulled off the big upset. What do you make of a series like that, Michael, when you see that big of a gap in pay between two teams? The culture matters. I know it's a taboo, but like if you have a really good clubhouse, and for them it's Jose Ramirez staying there, taking less money, saying, my, my kid was born here, this is my home, this is where I want to be, and Terry Francona – I, I remember the interview early in spring training said, I went to Ramirez and I said, this is your team. Keyword, this is your team. Take care of these young guys, show them how to play. And Ramirez has not skipped a beat. He runs out every ball, plays hard. He's diving into the stands, doing a lot of different things. So they set a standard there that's just different. Where I think the Yankees, with all that money, have set a different standard. It hasn't changed since way back when. You can only have a mustache, which Mario was supposed to pitch tonight. He's pitching tomorrow. So the reality of it there, they've set the standard there. Cleveland's creating their own culture, their own standards, and their own identity. And I think that's so important because you can only do that on the field with the players you have. You, don't have. you can't have this philosophy and run with it and not allow the personalities to come out. I mean, you, you look at Cleveland, you know, Terry Francona, when uh, was it Nader or Naylor or whatever, the first baseman, I can't think of his name exactly, but he headbunts Terry Francona every home run he hits. So Terry Francona has a helmet on waiting on him. I mean, that, that's awesome, right? That's back to college. That's back to high school. That's creating an atmosphere that you want to play in. So no amount of money can, can really produce that. So that's the problem with, with baseball. You, you can put together these misfits and say, hey, we're the youngest team in baseball and go against the juggernauts, and you really don't know who's going to win. Paul's off visiting family uh, today and tomorrow, Michael, but he would appreciate your, your take on this because I know you've caught Garrett Cole before in your career. And uh, prior to game one, I told him, I said, look, uh, based on the numbers, the Guardians aren't a power roster by any means. I know he gives up the home run ball, and you can tell us why that's an issue for him. But this is a great matchup for him to get back on track, and, and he did in game one. Why, why is the home run ball such an issue for Garrett Cole right now? 
it's the high spin. Obviously, breaking balls, it's easier to kind of clip. That high spin creates fly balls. Breaking balls create fly balls. And then you play it in New York. He's got short ports and right. I mean, where do you give up the home run just the other day? It was the right field. He, he, ever since he kind of stepped away from the sinker being his primary fastball, the home run numbers went up, but the strikeout numbers went up. He became a different dude. Very similar to what Charlie Morton did, but Charlie Morton in, in Atlanta didn't actually change the sinker usage to righties. Garrett really has because it complements better with this uh, breaking ball. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of goes through the postseason. I thought what he did against Cleveland was outstanding. The very first time I caught him, he did the exact same thing with me, and it, it was really a trust. He said, all right, these guys are kind of on my heater. They're found it off. I don't feel comfortable. So he started pitching backwards. What that means oh. is he started throwing breaking ball early, getting the fastball in late, but he was reading swings as good as I'd seen him. Sometimes he gets so wound up. He's such a competitor that maybe he thinks, hey, I can blow this 99 by you. Not quite high enough. You clip the bottom half of that ball that creates that spin to really take off. And that's kind of why he's giving up all those home runs. What kind of chance do you give the Padres in this series against the Dodgers after they took game two to even it up? You know, if I, it's all on Snell, in my opinion. I mean, Hayter's kind of really taken the turn back to who he is. Uh, he, he's really become something different. I think that was a huge culture shock when he left there. The ball feel difference in San Diego compared to in an airplane hangar in Milwaukee is completely different. But Snell is going to be the big difference. He, he's got the stuff. He has the ability. He's just got to make sure to repeat that delivery and get in the zone more often. Mm-hmm. He's got to get that fifth or sixth inning because they can't keep throwing out Martinez every single day, even though he's an older guy. They, they got to be able to bridge the gap to get to the back end of their bullpen or they're going to have a big, big trouble. So this next game is really the, the, the I guess, the rubber match of sorts. Because if they get to Musgrove, they're in good shape. That guy, that guy is a donkey. You, you know Musgrove well, right? Yeah, I love the guy. He's one of my favorite guys in the entire league. If I was going to be in the bunker with somebody, throw Musker, Musgrove right next to me because, you know, all the ear gate and everything else, <laughs> him kind of wiping his nose, throwing it, that's who he is. And, and the reality of it is there's a reason his manager stuck up for him because he will literally go to the trenches for any teammate he has at any moment. If you're on the other side, watch out. You're not a teammate anymore. He'll throw it up and in at you, break you off. He does not care. He wants to win on any given day. And he's one of the better guys in baseball, in my opinion, on the mound that people don't talk about enough. Well, you know, it, we were chatting about his ears and and the the umpire rubbing them down, the, you know, like down to the ear down to the eardrum. Um, what what were the umpi- what would the umpire say off mic, you know, off uh, privately about the rules and and how they have to check the pitchers? Some of the guys I've talked to, they don't like these rules. They, they feel like it's kind of ridiculous to to go over and i mean we've seen guys rub people's hair it looks like they're a monkey picking out fleas yes you, you just too many things i mean i'll never forget the first couple of days that they did it uh, uh max mad, mad max unbuckled his pants his pants fell down he's like hey just go ahead and check me let's go <laughs> the, the reality of it is you don't do that in the middle of the season i think it set a really bad precedent last year and then going into this year i mean you know depending on where you're at if the ball isn't like the same, like out in San Diego, LA, Arizona, the weather's dry, the ball dries out. And when it dries out, it, it really doesn't have any feel or any grip. And it feels terrible. It feels like you have powder on the ball. So you sweat and rosin. That's what most guys use. Some guys sunscreen. Okay. How are any of those things a problem, right? It gives you a little bit of tack and you throw, they get in the way of it. What is it? What do they think he has on his ear? Vaseline? Like he's a fighter. He's just closing the, the cuts on his ear from the punches. 
I mean, it was just man. ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. He's got Mickey from Rocky in there in the, <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, clubhouse. He's, he's in the hey. dugout, just here squeezing the water. Hey, Michael, <laughs> you, you described Musgrove as a donkey. Uh, that is not an insult. So please explain that to the layman who may be watching now when you, when you say he's a donkey. I think of a donkey as the guy, the guy that you can throw the entire weight of the world on top of, and he just keeps walking. There you he, go. He just doesn't stop. Maybe it's the mule, but like he's he's got to be more of a thoroughbred type I think donkey. Donkey works too. Donkey or mule. Mule yeah, has donkey, a negative connotation. Mule. People think drug mules, right? When you say <laughs> he's, exactly. a, he's a mule, so a d- donkey could be the way. <laughs> I just wanted to clear that up because some people may hear that think, is, he, is, he, like is it. it an insult? Is it not? I I knew what you were saying, but I wanted your definition. Uh, you're an analytics guy. I know you wanted to talk about Jordan Alvarez of, of the, the Astros, and you had some thoughts on him as a player. I mean, <laughs> he's not talked about enough. I mean, the reality of it is he's under 25, and over the last three years or so, 1,500 bats, the guy's been one of the best players in all best baseball when it comes to <laughs> just his production. And I've been amazed at his ability to do a lot of the similarities to pools. He's hitting for an average. His walk-to-strike ratio is unbelievable, and he's hitting for power. And he, he's doing it uh, as a 24-year-old. It's just unbelievable what this guy's being able to do. He's a juggernaut, just like Judge, just like Stanton, just like O'Neill Cruz, these guys that just don't fit in the league. O- Otani's maybe even an- another league. These guys need another league. I mean, this is a great graphic. I mean, if you don't follow this guy, you should. He always puts out great information. And – what that WRC plus is, is it, it takes in all the factors, your park and everything else, and, and shows really the value you're, you're producing. Look who he's right above. And look at those names. Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig, absolutely phenomenal names. I mean, five and six, we all know who those are. Mickey Mantle, he was okay. But you, you look at it. He's been better than Judge over those last 1,500 plate appearances. No one's talking about it. I mean, obviously, Judge has gotten – Heard he's he's gone through some different things and he plays in New York compared to you know Houston but man this guy is absolutely special he does it year in year out and there was a point about three fourths way through the season everybody thought he was going to win the MVP but nobody really talked about him because Judge Otani kind of always get the cake and then Mike Trout right after that and our our next uh, look at uh, individual players through you Michael is is uh, Tyler Anderson where is he separating himself specifically I mean look at the I mean this is a guy that. When I was in Colorado in 2014, I sat down with him. He's sitting down with me, Cargo, uh, Cargo, Tulowitzki, Nolan Arenado, talking hitting. You know, not many pitchers just sit around, talk hitting. The guy wanted to learn. He wanted to grow, and he was on the IL. Couldn't pitch. They told him he'd never pitch again. He had some weird thing in his elbow. Well, guess what? He pitched. He clawed his way back through Colorado, got to the big leagues, came over to the Pirates, absolutely phenomenal, got traded to Seattle, and then – Literally took a lot less money to go to the Dodgers, learn from them, grow, and you know maybe next year he signs a big contract. But that l- lowest hard hit rate is is remarkable to me because this guy throws 80, 88 to ninety two, maxed out ninety three, really good changeup. But he's got some funk. I call it the kung fu kick. He does this little thing where he does this. It's always different timing, and as a hitter, it's miserable. He'll drop down. He'll do a lot of different things, and I, I don't think people understand how good he is. And he's the guy that may get the ball in game three for the Dodgers. They're still trying to figure that out. I, I think even if they put a name out there, I wouldn't put it you know, past him to change it because him and May are two guys that really are interesting. And the reason why I want to talk about him is because tonight was supposed to be Cortez. I call him Super Mario. If you've seen him, he looks like Mario's got the mustache. 
but similar thing. He does a lot of things to throw your timing off. And both these guys I've faced, and they're just so tough. They don't wow you with the velocity or anything like that. They wow you with their ability just to go out and execute pitches, disrupt timing, and read read hitters. And it's it's kind of an old school approach, but it's so fun as as a former player and a fan. We're loving this, man. Uh, this donkeys, kung fu yeah. kicks. We're covering all the, the bases whole thing. here with you, Michael. Uh, this is perfect. Get back to uh, to packing up the place, and uh, next week we'll we'll take another deep dive in the series and how things have concluded, and look ahead to what's going to be a, a great championship series on both sides. No doubt about it. I'm looking forward to it, and go Braves. I'm I'm all all Braves all the way, and I I I don't know if you guys have watched Seattle at all, but what about the big dumper? Hey man, they, 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 that they yet? I can't wait for the atmosphere to get back there. I want to, I know, you know, to, to watch the fan base there. And they're going to move the NFL kickoff because of that game if they get to game wow. four. Wow, that never happens. That's that's, never. that's remarkable. It's a lot about the city. Yes. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, I appreciate There's, you guys. God bless you. Same to you. There's Michael McHenry. God bless him. Four Go Braves, just like Michael said. I'll, I'll, McHenry. I'll reiterate that. Uh, coming up, we talked. The Armando Salguero. The Armando Salguero. NFL headlines. We're going to preview week six. We'll talk Dan Snyder. and He'll crush the Lions. And our, yeah. our, well, the fact well, that we oh, man, like you the know Lions what? Maybe the we'll preseason. avoid the Lions. Maybe we'll avoid the Lions. We'll, just, we'll just skate past we'll, that. We'll week. talk Chiefs and, and Bills instead. <laughs> For 20 straight minutes. <laughs> That's next to Now Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Armando Salguero with us from Outkick.com as Outkick 360 rolls on. Senior NFL writer and columnist for the site. Uh, he's going to be like us, taking in all the great football this weekend. And then he's headed to the owners' meetings. And the timing of this is, uh, pro- I don't know if it's planned or not, Armando. But we have the Daniel Snyder story on the right on the, the, the preview for the owners' meetings. And I'm wondering... How many questions these guys are going to get about this from Daniel Snyder? Is he allowed to go to this right now? Or is it is it Tanya, his wife, that's going? I'm not I'm confused by the whole ownership structure right now in Washington. Right. So he is not uh going to be part of these meetings. Okay. And that's unfortunate. Con- <laughs> yes, that is unfortunate. <laughs> because that would be a wonderful uh moment for everyone to watch all the awkwardness as he walks through the halls trying to be friends with everybody who are not his friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the but his 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 enemies who will not vote him out and you have a great uh piece to this right now at outkick.com where you you uh put some feelers out with some people in the AFC and they told you what in regards to a response uh, as to what Snyder was saying. So If you all remember when the commissioner testified in front of Congress, he was asked repeatedly, why don't you simply boot Daniel Snyder? Why don't you, you know, just force him to sell the team? 
And his answer repeatedly was, I can't do that. And the reason for that is because the NFL bylaws state that for that to happen, someone would have to make a motion and then 24 out of the 32 or uh, of, of the owners would have to agree to go that route. And no one wants to go that route. The reason no one really wants to go that route is it sets a precedence. And as I was told today and I wrote for OutKick, once you set that precedence, it can be used again and again. And eventually what you're using on someone else might be used on you. And nobody in that room wants that. Armando Salguero, our guest, we've got two great games on Sunday. Sunday night will be Philadelphia hosting Dallas. And then, of course, we've got the the MVP showdown between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, the rematch from the playoffs back in Kansas City. That that deserves all the, the hype. I, is the more impactful game in Philadelphia because of the division race right now in the in the NFC East? Well, they're both impactful. Obviously, one is going to possibly help settle a division and the other one's going to probably and possibly settle a conference. So, yeah. uh, and at least Dallas know, and Philly play twice. That is true. That is true. Uh, I get the feeling that Buffalo and Kansas city might end up playing <laughs> twice. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, at least I hope they do because when those two teams get at it, uh, you know, I personally, you know, I, I understand that there are folks out there that love hard-nosed defensive football. I like the circus. <laughs> I like fireworks, and I like it when it's 42 to, you know, to 40 or something like that. And when Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes get together, that's what we're going to get. That's exactly what we got the last time. I believe that's what's going to happen this time. Both of them are basically on on task for record-setting seasons. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, he's he's on pace for 51 touchdown passes. If he has an amazing game, if he throws six in one of those games, he's going to be on pace for Peyton Manning's 55. And... Josh Allen is on pace to throw for 5,700 yards, which is just outrageous. I was really hoping that they would gun for the record for most passing yards in a game last Sunday against Pittsburgh. You know, like, it, it's crazy to me how long that record ha- it has it, is still up there, uh, how long it's lasted considering the, the rules and what we see from the passing offenses now. And, I mean... It looked like he was going to get it by halftime based on how he's thrown it. I'm curious to get your yep. take on this, Armando. Uh, is this the week where we see the absence of Tyreek Hill in Kansas City show up, or is it no big deal in KC? No, it's 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 a deal. I don't know that it's a big deal. They they they're past that. I was with that team a couple of weeks ago, and Andy Reid has answers. For, for not having Tyreek Hill anymore, um, you would say, or some people would say, not great answers. Uh, but 
the answer is we're not relying on one guy to blow the top off the defense anymore. We're going to do it with three guys. And it doesn't mean we have to blow the top off the defense. When our guy is pitching and catching eight yards a pop, 10 yards a pop, 15 yards a pop, and the defense are pulling their hair out, it still moves the football. It may not be as explosive, but it's still dynamic. Armando Salguero, our guest on Outkick 360. So, Commanders-Bears, Armando. I mean, we talked about the most impactful games of the weekend. I mean, I, I can't believe we haven't gotten to this one yet in terms of impact. Uh, we had this discussion earlier, though. Last week was almost interesting simply because the star power of the quarterbacks who were failing so badly with Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson. This is a game that's not going to have that impact because we expect these two quarterbacks to fail in this game, <laughs> right? Because of their history. Uh, so this is probably the worst game of the two. Yeah. Uh, and, and Okay, so you you want a um, a little bit of insight into my world. I have Carson Wentz on my fantasy team, <laughs> and I have John Dotson on my fantasy team, and I have Brian Robinson now on my oh. fantasy team. I've got all these guys on a very bad offense, and they're all on my fantasy team. Can you figure out why I am one and four? Can yeah. you figure that out? I, I can. I can figure it out. I can put two and two together can, on that one. There, there are plenty of candidates for comeback player of the year. Can Brian Robinson win it in the same season? That's a great question. Wow, that is an outstanding. I, I've never, point. I've never asked or, or thought of that. But I mean, he's starting tonight. They've announced he's the starting running back on Thursday Night Football, and he just returned last week. You know uh, that that I'm going to when I get off of here, email the guy that runs the Associated Press um, awards, and I vote on those awards, by the way. And ask him if Brian Robinson might be a, a candidate. I do know this. Um, they don't tell you you can't vote for someone. Okay. So if someone wants to do that, that's perfectly fine, I think. So the short answer is I think you could. Um, on the other hand, you know, we're not there yet. You got Sure. So far, he has like 22 rushing yards. So we'll right, see. Right, right, Um Curious on this. So I, I don't think there's much of an issue, uh, at least not yet, with Dak Prescott and Cooper Rush, right? Like when Dak comes back, if he plays, if he's not good, then there's a quarterback issue. Are, is, is the Bailey Zappi thing in New England a thing? Or is... is yes. Okay. Hmm. Absolutely. Because, he, because in Quick the answer. past, or, I mean, Albert Breer has said in the past that Belichick has said when Mac Jones is ready, he's, he's, he's the guy. And now he's not doing that, and it's very intentional. Um, look, I think we, we're not comparing Bailey Zappi to Tom Brady, okay? Sure. So let's, let's st start there. Under no circumstances are we making that comparison. But success is success is success. And as long as Bailey Zappi is winning and as long as he finds a way to win and doesn't hurt his team, Bailey Zappi will play regardless of whether Mac Jones is ready to go or not. And that's not yet anyway. That's a couple of weeks off at, at, mo at least. So there's that. 
but we have to understand and remember, Bill Belichick benched the highest paid quarterback in the NFL at the time back in 2001. And I remember because I was, you know, in New England a lot that year for ESPN. And the idea was Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady yet. He was kind of like this middling, kind of dorky, awkward looking quarterback. But he didn't make a lot of mistakes, something that Drew Bledsoe's, you know, often more often did. And he wasn't as dynamic as Drew Bledsoe, but he didn't make a lot of mistakes. And that was the overriding and overarching factor in continuing with him as the team continued to win on what? On defense and a running game. Well, the Patriots now, when they do win, they win on what? Well, their defense and their running game. And if the quarterback doesn't screw it up, we're good on most days until you play Josh Allen and then you're not. (laughs) So, Armando, we have not had you on since the controversial roughing the passer penalties on Sunday against Tom Brady with Grady Jarrett and the Falcons and then Monday with Chris Jones of the Chiefs on on Derek Carr. When you see these, do you think it's a direct – it's a direct correlation to what's going on with quarterbacks hitting the ground that we've seen in very visible settings, or is this something else happening with two just really egregious calls in the NFL? So I, I'm going to be the idiot in the room. The Tom Brady call, if you're saying that was egregious, it probably was, then you have to also say, that the Marcus Mariota sack in the second quarter was also egregious because it was the same play, exactly. Just two different guys, but the exact same play. And I think players, typically, they care about consistency. If you're going to be terrible all the time, they'll accept that, but at least they'll understand, look, this is how they're being called. So we'll our, adjust our play accordingly. The the Derek Carr thing, that was just out of left field. That was just weird because, number one, it happened when the guy caused a fumble. The official, uh, Carl Jeffers, said it didn't matter. It happened when Chris Jones did not land full body on Derek Carr. Carl Jeffers said he did. And it happened on national television with Troy Aikman saying that the NFL is, has lost its manhood, basically. So that was the one that really kind of, you know, if, if the Brady one lit a little spark, lit a spark, the Derek Carr one was the one that blew the room up. And I think that's what people are worried about. Because it is, at the end of the day, a judgment call. If the refs are proving that they have the same judgment for everybody, that's one thing. But that Derek Carr thing was weird. Two quick ones on the way out. So Skylar Thompson is going to start regardless of Teddy Bridgewater's status, status, right, for Sunday? Yes, which I think is ridiculous, but yes. I mean, yeah, because if he's cleared, then we've seen players clear and they play. I don't, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> Um, Teddy it's Bridgewater optics. was never hurt. I mean, to, to your knowledge, but it's optics. But but at the same time, and I know you feel this way too, because I guess see by based on your reaction, if Skylar Thompson gets hurt, 
then he's Teddy's playing. What are the optics there? I completely, it's not just if he gets hurt. If Skylar Thompson, a seventh round draft pick rookie, plays like a seventh round draft pick <laughs> right. rookie, right. he's out. And Teddy Bridgewater is in. So if you're going to possibly play him, why not play start him? Agreed. Um, and second, am I am I crazy to think that a, a, a low key game of the week is Giants Ravens because of the Wink Martindale factor? He wants his revenge. You're absolutely right. And I was talking to Bill Parcells this week, and he has nothing but great things to say about. Uh, Wink Martindale. Obviously, he left the Ravens under strange circumstances because he's he's not a good defensive coordinator. He's a great defensive coordinator. And I think the Ravens are not as good on defense now as a result. And yet, you know, John Harbaugh moved on from him. And I think Wink Martindale, who knows the Ravens offense, saw it ad nauseum at practice the last couple of years. I think this is his chance to, to, to come with some stuff, and he has weapons. Unlike the offense on the Giants, they're doing it with smoke and mirrors. Yes. The defense, outside of maybe the cornerback situation, they've got athletes. You thought I was going to go with Jags Colts on underrated. I did not do that. I, I went with <laughs> Giants-Ravens. You're, You're very welcome, welcome for Armando. that. Yes, and uh, the, Thank you. The NFL was so upset with that roughing the passer penalty on Tom Brady, they, they sent Jerome Boger to – Indianapolis for this game. He's he's the white hat for Colts Jags. So you're welcome, America. You don't have to watch that game. Uh, Armando. Oh, the, Lions, the, the Lions are not going to lose this weekend. No, they're not. They are, they absolutely will not. They uh, they have the bye week. Get a chance to get healthy, get rested. Uh, maybe their coaches can come up with a better game plan and uh, rattle off some wins here. Who knows? Uh, always great stuff, man. Thank you. We look forward to your coverage next week as well at the, at the owners' meetings. Thank you, guys. Armando Salguero, weekly with us. One of my favorite segments He's there. He's great. Terrific guy. Uh, coming up, we'll stick with football, but we go to the college ranks. And yes. Chad, you've got your top five storylines going into the I college football I have put football words weekend. together for Outkick.com, and those words have been published, and we will discuss those words. This is Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on. And from 6th and Peabody, we're talking football every day with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us across the network, whether that's live right now streaming at Outkick.com or with this great radio station as you're tuned in. Hit us up at Outkick 360. You can also go to Outkick.com where you can read right now Chad Withrow's top five college football storylines going into Saturday's play. It's time, Hudden. I love this segment. Chill in the air. We've got this music going right now. It's time to get ready for kickoff. Five big storylines. The biggest storyline is in Knoxville. We're going to be there. We're going to have you covered. We'll be at Cool Beans in Knoxville, 3 to 6 Eastern time tomorrow. Come by and see us if you're in Knoxville for Tennessee, Alabama. 
That is the story of the college football season up to this point. We're going to have you covered. Trey Wallace is going to have you covered on that game. He's going to join us tomorrow as well. So I, I dove into five different stories I'm following this weekend. The biggest one to me is Penn State, Michigan, going head-to-head in the big house in Ann Arbor. Hutton, I think the winner of this game now emerges as the team that is that likely, if there's going to be two teams in the Big Ten to yes. make the college football playoff, it's the winner of this game. Before the season, I had Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan making the college football playoff. If Michigan can win at home against Penn State, they're going to be in a good spot. Both teams led by their running backs, Blake Corum for Michigan, Nick Singleton, the fantastic freshman for Penn State, who ran all over Auburn. Uh, 51 and a half is the over-under in this game. Should be a tightly contested running battle. Sean Clifford is the last quarterback to win in the big house. That was in 2020. Syracuse is 6-0, and by the way. This is my other storyline of the week. Who would have thought? Now, their, their two biggest wins, they beat Louisville badly, 31-7 in week one. They survived Purdue 32-29 in week three. Other than that, they really haven't beaten anyone. But this week? But this week they get NC State, who's been an underperforming team all year. They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. I think Syracuse gets it done. This is not your typical Dino Babers attack. When you think about his Bowling Green teams, throwing it everywhere, no. This is a team that's going to pound the rock. Garrett Schrader, the former Mississippi State starting quarterback, is a good running option at QB. And outside of that, Sean Tucker has been terrific at running back for the Orange all year. If they can win this week, and I'm going to get to this in another storyline, it sets up a huge game for the ACC Coastal a week from now against uh, against Clemson. Clemson. And, Chad, I'm, I'm with you on this because if Syracuse does this to NC State, the national media, guys like me who are on board with the Wolfpack, are going to look at that as a statement, a program win, oh, right? Yeah. This, this is their chance to grab hold of some, some, some marquee attention. And I misspoke. It's the ACC Atlantic. Why did I misspeak? Because I can't tell the difference between the two yeah. conferences because it's stupid. Go by geography. North, south, east, west. Very easy to put it down that way when your you mind like can leaders look at geography. Legends either? I did not like the leaders or legends. <laughs> that, at least the Big Ten, though, admitted that was stupid and went to east and west yes. pretty quickly. Yes. Uh, coastal it was stupid. Jim Leonard, not stupid so far. Uh, pretty remarkable turnaround. It's his job. Granted, it was a bad Northwestern team they blew out, but they got blown out by Brett Bielema, their former head coach at Illinois now. Wisconsin got blown up. and Then home, then they go on the road and destroy Northwestern. They play a very bad Michigan State team on the road this weekend. Win that game, and I'm calling this the Jim Leonard head coach audition tour, is going to keep rolling along. And as crazy as it sounds, you look at Wisconsin's schedule and who they have left. They are right in line to win that Big yeah. Ten West, just like most people expected before the season. Hutton, if they do that, or they're even close to doing that, Jim Leonard will be announced as the head coach before this season ends. No doubt. It's going to happen. It's, yes. It, it, it may, he's, he may be two or three weeks away from that, based on the way they played last week. I'll go quick with my, my last two. Clemson in a huge three-game stretch right now. This is going to define whether or not they're getting back to a college football playoff. They've got at Florida State this week. Then they go home to host Syracuse. And then they get a bye week. Then they go to Notre Dame. When this is coming off a, a stretch where they had Wake Forest and NC State. And now and they're going into Wake this Wake Forest was the game where their offense finally woke up. They yep. won 51-45. 
and they look good against uh, NC State and Boston College. Win these three, though, I think their last few games are uh, Louisville, Miami, South Carolina. They're going to the playoff. They're in the playoff. I yeah. think if they win the next three games, they're, they're going to be in the college football playoff. Now we go to Utah. Utah hosting USC. Utah has tried and failed in their two big moments this year. Yes. They threw an interception in the end zone to lose in the swamp against Florida. They lost on the road to UCLA. By the way, Chip Kelly and UCLA still undefeated. <clears throat> this is their third test of the year. I think they passed this one. I think it's going to be a lot different in Salt Lake City. At home against USC, I think Utah gets it done in this game. If they don't, though, if USC wins and UCLA goes on the road and beats Oregon, Chip Kelly's old team, in Eugene this weekend, think of what that USC-UCLA game could be at the end of the year with both teams undefeated in the second to last week of the season. So Maybe they draw a crowd. That's a fun possibility. They may go over 50% capacity for that game. <laughs> All those USC fans buying up the tickets are going to help. This Utah game this weekend feels like A&M-Bama from last year. Big expectations for A&M last year. They limp in with two losses, coming off a loss. Utah has had this game circled. We have a former intern who goes to school at Utah, works for the football program. Yeah. They have had this game circled all year, like calendar year. And now they're looking at this a bit different than when they did when they were looking at the schedule ahead of time. I I kind of lean your way, though. I think Utah... I think Utah gets it done this time. And let's not for forget this. also, USC was 4-8 and eight a year ago. And they're now undefeated in year one under Lincoln Riley. Helps to bring That's in impressive. all that talent also. Coming up, we take a look at the SEC from the Vegas lens. We'll tell you who would be favored on a neutral field this week across the Southeastern Conference. That's next on Outkick 360.